Man, I love this impact family, don't you? Yes. Call for a purpose to do it out there. So I'm going to step away to do two commercials. One, talk about home groups. Carol and I have done home groups for years. And the one that we started with the MERS two years ago still goes on in our house. And it's the delight of our week. If you want that blessing, do it. It's awesome. I'll be glad to encourage you if you want to ask. So number two is I'm so proud of my wife, Carol. She wrote a book. And if you want to learn about 39 different cultures, not intellectually, but, but intimately, if you want to see the weird things they do, how we walk through those in, in pastoring missionaries overseas for those 20 years or so, and if you want to laugh and enjoy and have an easy read, you need to get her book. It's entitled, Sit Like a Princess, Not Like a Frog. And that'll tell you something. Because she has a whole chapter on bathrooms, ladies. And I'm just saying. That's my wife. She in bathrooms, they, well, never mind. Um, well, so what a, so thank you, Jody, for singing my message. You've heard David say that before? You'll know that's true today. So how many of you love feeling guilty? Got to laugh. But what if it's possible to love feeling guilty and even embrace it? Let's talk about that. And we're going to do it this way. We're going to talk about what is sin. I know. Hang on. What is sin, and why in the world do we need to know more about it other than just don't do it? And finally, we're, I'm going to talk about how can we share this matter of sin where it'll actually be received by the listener and not shut off. And I know that's a lot. In fact, along the way, after David asked, I had a come-to-Jesus meeting with Jesus and saying, is this really my assignment? I had a lot of other cool stuff, but apparently it is. I'll let you be the judge. Okay, so factions in our current American culture try to erase the idea of God-based guilt caused by sin. How do they do that? A lot of ways, but one way is they just want to, for people to abandon the concept of a good God. And they use the stuff like, so if you have such a good God, why is all these bad things happening to people, right? Hi, Balcony. Good to see you guys. So... And then they do this. Look, you are only in charge of you. And you have a right to do what you will. And by the way, you're the one that can determine what is right and wrong for you. So I looked up some examples and headlines this week. I'll just give you two because they're just sickening. Abortion is a humane way of protecting a woman's health. And a six-year-old has the right to choose their own gender. I know that says well, but there are people that go right on. They've bought that. So there's two kinds of guilt, I would suggest. One is spiritual, the other is cultural. So spiritual guilt is what we've heard about, it's what we read about, it's what we know. It's sin that causes an internal reaction as we realize that what we just thought or what we just did upset God and caused a separation. And that just basically means you're not walking in the way, hearing the truth, or living the lifestyle of the Creator. 
And also it just means you broke a rule of God, but you also at the same time broke his heart. So David talks about it in the famous Psalm 51, the repentance psalm after he had a sexual sin. This is what he says. Oh my gosh, Lord, it's you and you only that I have sinned against. You and you only. What that means is we never sin against anybody else. That's the result of us sinning against God and allowing us to be our own moral guide. And because of that separation from his way of thinking and his rules, our thinking begins to not represent the Creator at all anymore. In fact, it doesn't even produce one of the most important purposes of Christianity, which is to build a good self-image for myself, self-worth, and help others have the same privilege. Amen? So I believe that from Genesis to Revelation and Scripture, the central theme is love being offered, love being abandoned, we call it rebellion, and then our Creator offering that restoration of that love. Started in the Garden of Eden, and it's going to end with full and permanent restoration of God's kids in another garden. So the story of the Bible is relationship, restoration, relationship, restoration. You'd think God would get a little weary. Now, cultural guilt is really just caused by the unhealthy relationships in your life. It might have begun when you were a child at home, and I'm sorry if that's the case for you. It might just be relationships that you swim around in this toxic culture of ours, but it's not caused by sin. It's caused by other people's distraught nature. My grandmother, I called Nana, she said, Jackie, you tell me who you run with, and I'll tell you who you are. Is that true? So this counterculture to our faith, first of all, helps to teach you a lie about yourself. And that there's no God of love, if he exists at all. And the purpose is to make you ineffective for God's purpose for yourself. To ruin your self-worth, how you see yourself. Because, and this is how he does it. This, this really works. This is how he does it. He simply changes the way you think. It's kind of what advertising does, right? Now, remedy is, of course, to recognize that you have a sin that moves you back toward your Creator to resolve that and have a restoration. But the opposite is to choose to stay separated from the only one who created you in the first place, and He wants you back. And staying separated allows guilt to define you, but it never redeems you, right? So biblical writers talk about this. John in 1 John says, look, just be honest. Confess your sins to your Creator, for He is faithful to forgive you and eliminate that sin. And then David tells us in 103, Psalm 103, he says, God forgives all of our sins and does not deal with us as we deserve. And then he says, and he removes that rebellious act as far away as the east is from the west. And finally, our friend Paul in Romans 8 gives us a victorious truth that says, because of God's loving power, there's no longer any condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. Again. 
There's not a better word than that. So why is it important to know all this stuff about sin other than stop it, don't do it, which is good. Why is it important? Well, I want to suggest that retained guilt, when you retain your guilt, it damages your God-birth self-worth given to you by God himself. So Jesus comes with a solution. Accept my offer of love, and I will actually take up residence inside of you and deposit my spirit into yours, and that will mean that I will powerfully always be available to you as needed. What a plan. Is it working? Yeah. The whole purpose of the Father was to create in you a self-worth that he created in your own life. And so that you can represent him well and to walk in goodness. And it makes Papa smile to see your restoration to his image. Want to make God grin? Do that. The answer to the sin problem, so, so it's not complicated, is it? In fact, I think Jesus came to simplify one of his jobs. I've got to simplify how God's people can relate to the Father. So one of the things he said was, Everything written in the Old Testament, he didn't call it that. Everything written back there, all of what the prophet said, ah, they're just two things. So he borrowed all of that stuff, two things. What were they? Love God with all you got? Try that on somebody else. That's it, right? So it's not hard. It's not that complicated. And does repent, it does begin with repentance. But what, what repentance means literally is to change the way you think. That's what it means. John 16, 8 says, look, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin and of God's righteousness. Now, you may have heard that repentance means turning from sin, but it doesn't. That's the result of your changed thinking. And by the way, you'll know whether it happened or not because your changed thinking should also affect your behavior being changed. So as you know, I told you last time, I developed this bumper sticker called Thank God to help remind us that's what we need to do. That's what we need to go back. And there's some out in the foyer, as long as they last, do not take one if you're not going to stick it up. So there's a simple explanation of this process. I almost took this out, but I thought, no, I think a person rebels against perfect love. It's called sin, literally meaning miss the mark set by God. And whether or not the person even knew about that or not, that still is what happened. And next, someone, either the Holy Spirit in person or one of his kids comes along to help you to show how you can be restored to your perfect lover creator. That's the plan. And life changes from that moment from darkness to light for that person. And as you begin to experience that perfect love in action as the Holy Spirit moves and as you're around believers who love you, which you find that here. And that's what sin is, that's what it does, and that's the remedy. So why do we need to know all of that about it other than just quit? Well, one of the deepest personal needs that you and I were created with is a want to be needed and even affirmed. And boy, did I hear that story over and over again at the Christian Women's Job Corps graduation. These ladies had horrible, terrible lives, believed eventually the lie of who they were, 
until they met Jesus and found out differently, and it was like over here, and now this beautiful daughter of God. It's just it's awesome. Well, why is it because of the creation of your creator implanted in you an internal desire to have a relationship and fellowship with him? And I would suggest there's two different things. I can have a relationship with you because you brought me a taco. But fellowship is, man, I want to go deeper with you. And can I tell you, that's exactly what God wants. Remember the story of the Bible. It's our supernatural creator wanting to have a genuine relationship and fellowship with those that he's created. Amen. Just so awesome. So what are you worth to God? True story, apparently, that comes out of Venezuela years ago, that a man paid $900,000 as ransom to get his 13-year-old boy back. Was the boy worth it? What if somebody would have approached this guy and said, hey, I know you're about to spend a lot of money, but I can get you a boy just like yours, maybe even better for a thousand bucks. What, would he have taken that? Would he have been interested? Why? He wanted his boy. He wanted his flesh and blood. So does God. And he paid an extravagant ransom for you. But by the way, God said in Isaiah 43, I formed you for myself. I call that righteous selfishness. See, our Creator loved bringing you to life. And He wants you to know that how much how He loved it. You need God. But did you know that God needs you? He can't replace you because you're one of a kind. In fact, He values you as if you were the only person on the planet. You know why? Because you are. And that's been proven scientifically for your makeup. It's also a testimony from God. That's how bad he wants you. That's how unique you are. And that's why he hates sin, because he hates being separated from you. He hates that, the loss of the fellowship. So he paid this ransom. But ransom's one thing, and reunion is another. A reunion is awesome. Ask a parent who had put their child up for adoption for whatever reason and get reunited with that child. Ask a parent who lost a child and later found them alive again. Ask a family re receiving their, their soldier from battle back home. Reunion is what it's all about, and that's what God's all about. So missing the mark set by God is the cause of all of our problems. Would you agree? It's a war, crime, broken homes, all of that is because you've missed the mark. What's the mark? Well, let's start with the Ten Commandments. That's a pretty good start. But our pastor's been talking out of Galatians 5. And in Galatians 5, 20, 19 to 23, Paul lists a whole bunch of sin. I don't like to read it because it's too yucky. It's just yucky. But then down in verse 22 and 23, I believe this is what he gives as marks. And my wife reminded me that's right. Said, when the Holy Spirit controls your life, he's going to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now you go, wait a minute, I thought that's the fruit. Well, wait a minute, 
If you're not kind to somebody, if you don't love somebody, isn't that a sin? That's not our job. We're, our job's the opposite. Our job's to love them, right? So I would suggest these are marks of God that we can miss. And yes, they're high marks, but it's God. Come on. What do you expect? Of course they're high marks. And he's given you Jesus to help you get there through the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this is the coolest thing that I wanted to share. You and I, we're the ones created to bring the solution to earth. We're the ones. What was he thinking of? Didn't he know Adam and Eve? But that's what he uses. He uses us. First, we got to free ourselves, and then we got to share with others what that freedom experience is like. And then they can have salvation life. And what's salvation life? Well, salvation life is that at the very base of your life, grace and not guilt lies at the core of your life. So when you begin to struggle up here, you don't go to guilt, you go to, you go to grace. That empowers you to move past your past, begin to write a new story with a new history. Because your creator doesn't ignore your past. In fact, he loves you in spite of it. Even when you try to bring your past into your present, he still loves you. And by the way, don't do that anymore. That is a waste of your precious time on earth. He wants you to be free. Why? First, just to feel the goodness again, the wholeness again, and then to be a good advocate because that's why we're here. It's interesting that one of the items placed in the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. And I suggest that one reason for sure is that these are the marks. These are actually the foundation of every good moral code in the world. In the biblical times, there were two, two people groups, Israel and everybody else. And everybody else served heathen gods. And how they ruled was through fear, violence, mistrust, and produced despair. But yet they followed these gods with a small g, but these gods did have supernatural power. So that's enough of all of that. Say, whew, okay, we're next, we're moving on. So part three is I want to talk about how we can present this concept of sin to our ever-expanding immoral culture and do so biblically yet without blocking the receptivity of the listener. Now, what do I mean by that? I kind of think, and this is just me, but I kind of think that religious language is a blocker in many ways to moving to the next step. Did you know you're a sinner? They may be there until they let go like a captive, but they've lost, you've lost them there. And besides that, there's a lot of misunderstanding about sin. And by the way, the, the people out there that I call pre-believers, they're confused. We're supposed to be people of love. And, and then they see high-profile believers who preach to thousands. I know one in, in, in Dallas that's going that way. They go south. Their next-door neighbor claims to be a Christian because look at all his bumper stickers. He doesn't act like that. So they just figure out, what is all this about? And then they also want to propagate the fact that sin means you're condemned. But they don't give an option. And he uses our enemy, uses that against us. So it's, it's not the responsibility of us to convict somebody of the sin. That's God's job. God, as already knowing how to do that, it's our responsibility to respond to those precious moments of opportunity when someone 
his, we're talking to is actually receptive to listen to you. I call it the Luke 10 principle. I've talked to you about it before. Jesus said, knock on the, when he sent the 12 out, knock on the door, shalom, give them shalom. If they don't give you a peace back, move on. He didn't say pull out the four spiritual laws or tell them they're going to go to hell tomorrow. He said, just move on. Why? They weren't receptive. Why? It's not, it really doesn't have to be that hard to share, but you need receptivity in people's hearts for that to really generate something important. So I'm just going to, I'm going to try. I'm going to give you three different examples. <clears throat> Here's one. So in the Garden of Eden, that's, by the way, the first resident of all humans, Adam and Eve only had one rule. Did you think about that? They only had one rule. Just one. You got all these trees, God said. Enjoy the shade, climb on them, eat the stuff. Just one tree over there. The tree of knowledge and good of evil. Just leave it alone. One rule. I thought he thought, well, maybe that would work. Well, it didn't. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why they rebelled, missed the mark, but they did, and they were kicked out of the garden. And then God put a couple of angels in front of the garden in case they wanted to sneak back in. He was serious. He was serious about it. And so that's the beginning of humanity missing the marks of love and kindness by the Creator and breaking the rules set by a gracious God. And it was the beginning of selfishness ruling life. Thank you, Adam. See, the rule of God is to, it, to love his people. Rules are, can be used evilly to suppress you. They, the, the ruler cares less about you. And if whatever it takes, all the way to a gun to your head, he's going to rule that way. But God, no, he wants you to be guided into goodness. He wants you to be safe. He wants kindness and benevolence to be the rule for your life, just like good parents do today. Amen? All right, let's try another way. Let's take a glass of water, pure water, and just put a few drops of Kool-Aid or dye or poison or drugs. And when you do that, the, the consistency of the water is changed forever. It's a totally different composition. And sometimes it ain't bad, ask the people at the wedding with Jesus. Right? But nevertheless, anything that you introduce into your life system changes the very core of who you are. Once you fire a gun, you can't take back the bullet. So if we choose to receive a contamination that's toxic to our self-esteem or toxic to our health, then we're broken, we're no longer whole, and the composition of our life has just changed. The bullet's been fired. But there is a loving, supernatural, intelligent creator who has a way to restore you and back to full love. And all it takes from you is a, just a little bit of tough honesty. It might sound something like this. My creator, I've really messed up. And I've missed your mark of good intention for my life. Forgive me of my choices. Would you make me whole again? Oh, thanks for your perfect love. That's kind of it. You can use your own words if you would like, but just simple. You messed up. You're asking me to restore it. And, you're, and you do it honestly. And if you do it honestly, the Bible says it happens right then. Just like that. 
So here's a final way, maybe if you have less time. You know, I believe in a supernatural creator who gave me life. And he desires to live in a very personal, loving relationship with me. In fact, I think I owe him something to get, for giving me my life, letting me down here. And by the way, that's the way a loving child should feel about a good parent. But when we miss the mark that our Creator sets, and we're not living a genuine life, we're not caring for others, then we break that relationship with Him and are separated from Him. And you might say, well, that's not a, that's not a good loving God. Why would He do that? Well, he said, I'd say, well, let me ask you a question. If you had a friend and every other week they broke trust with you, they betrayed you, would you keep loving them and walking with them? No, you'd move away too. But the good news is that Jesus made a way where there seemed to be no way. That's your good news. While he walked on earth, he showed us how to be empowered with his Father's unconditional kind of love. And once we honestly ask the Creator to forgive us, he does. Right then and right there. But breaking that separation and restoration and turning to his loving fellowship. But the truth is, if you don't have that kind of relationship with the Father before you die, that separation is permanent. So there you go. And what I suggest is trying to model, I mean, you can write those down, but I mean, you can just make your own. It's just simple. It's a simple way to share without using any biblical language, but using words that he would, uh, this, these people would understand. Right? You could do that. Can't you? Okay, well then let's go do it. So, back to the original question. Do you love feeling guilty? Well, what if, what if we looked at that sense of guilt when we get it, as God's loving advertisement to make the right move back to Him, to change the way we think, to think God first, John 6, Then, if you think about it that way, you might embrace that guilt because it's going to lovingly push you to refocus on your creator of love, and it will restore your self-worth. It will. So if you don't mind, I'm going to do a quick summary. You're alive in this room right now because the creator of all of the universes, that big guy, he wanted you here on earth. You're that important. So before you entered the womb, he fashioned all that was uniquely you. And obviously your creator loves you as his kid, no matter what kind of love. That's the kind of love he offers until your death. And like any good papa... He just wants the very best for you. And he's willing to give you written and internal guides along the way. All you have to do, believe he is, and be sensitive to his advice and counsel. Does that make sense? If you choose to ignore his way and no longer believe in his truth and decide not to live that lifestyle, God still loves you as much. But he's grieved that your free choice might cause you to be pained and hurt. And making the choice to disobey his kindness and his faithful love is the betrayal of the very one who only wants goodness for you. 
And if you recognize that and are willing to genuinely, humbly say, sorry, Lord, for rejecting your loving ways, please forgive me, he does right then. Because you've done it honestly. And his smile, once again, becomes your life coach and your very life breath. Folks, I want to tell you, it's up to us every moment of every day of our life. And I think that's good news for us, but it's also good news for our hurting, pre-believing culture. You ready? We're a part of that solution. What are you going to do about it? Let's stand for prayer. Now, I'm going to do something different, um, and that I'm going to really speak as if the Lord might speak today. And you can shut your eyes or leave it open. It doesn't make any difference to God or to me. It's up to you, but hear the Lord. My child, you are of huge value to me. I'm the one that made you in your mother's room. Put off those things the world tries to convince you are valuable in their eyes. Begin again to believe the words that I say over you, even this night, even this morning. What you have been hearing is truth from me. What have you been hearing? Well, you, I hope that you heard words that I've revealed the true identity that I have for you in my heart and in my eyes. And I am releasing a fresh vision for you in this two-way delightful relationship that we have so that you will flourish in and through me. And I'm looking for partners who will enter my gates with thanksgiving and my throne with praise. So kids, I want you to go forward. I want you to impact my creation, the weary, the fearful, the hopeless. You are my solution. Thank you, Jesus. And we all said together, Amen. Amen. Amen.